Amen. Thank you so much for that, Hannah. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to take them and join me in the book of Genesis, chapter number 43, please. The 43rd chapter in the book of Genesis is where we'll be. So look across the room this morning. There's a number of guests and visitors with us, and we're honored and delighted that you've chosen to worship the Lord with us this morning, however you ended up coming. If maybe you're just a, um, a traveler on your way uh, to another destination, or whether you're in this area, perhaps maybe looking for a church home, uh, we're honored and delighted that uh, you would be with us today. There in the pew in front of you is a connection card, and we'd encourage you to take just a moment, and there's a QR code that's attached to that. If you just hover your smartphone over that code, it'll take you to an online digital connection card that you can fill out, and if you'll do that for us, we would appreciate that. For those of you that have no idea what that means, uh, I would encourage you to go by our Welcome Center. It's located in our back lobby at the end of the service, and uh, let them know that you're a visitor and you'd like to fill out a good old-fashioned uh, connection card with a pen and a piece of paper, and they'll help you with that as well. Uh, but again, we're grateful that you're here this morning. We're in Genesis chapter number 43. We are preaching through the life of Joseph and uh, trying to learn so many things from this great character of the Bible. And I've been helped as I've studied his life. I've heard from many of you that have indicated that our study of Joseph's life has been a blessing in your life and in been a help to you, and so we'll continue on today. Verse number one, the Bible says, And the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel, who is also Jacob, said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother, and we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever." For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. And take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again unto the man. Now notice the next phrase. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. The title of the message comes out of the 14th verse where Jacob says, and God Almighty give you mercy. God Almighty give you mercy. Years ago, I was pulled over for a speeding violation. I don't remember how fast I was driving. I remember it was here in the city of Brooklyn. I do remember that. 
I don't, I don't remember if I, maybe it was a speeding, it might have been a, it might have been a, uh, just an illegal turn that I had made while I was driving one day, but I, I do remember at the time that this happened that I had a wife and I had some small children and, um, and I was, I felt like I was incapable of dealing with something like this at this moment. I just, just didn't, you know, I had enough bills on the plate in front of us. I didn't need another one like this. And I was really sort of down about it. And um, I just was frustrated. I was annoyed. Um, and I remember I was, I was speaking to some friends, sharing with them a little bit of my dilemma, what I was going through. And one of my friends, they, they piped up and they said, you know, uh, several years ago, I was in a similar situation as you are. And I had a wife and I had young children. I got a ticket. And, and, um, and, I, and I determined, I decided that I was going to go to the court date. Instead of just mailing the check in, I was going to go and I was going to stand before the judge, and I did. And I said, well, what, what happened? What, what, why did you go stand before the judge? And he said, I, I, I waited my turn. There were other names that were called, and finally my name was called, and my infraction was, was, was given. This is what you're, guilt, this is what you're ac- accused of, I should say, and, uh, and how do you plead? And my friend said, I, 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 I pled to the judge. He said, your honor, I am guilty. Guilty as charged. And the judge was a little taken aback by that. And he said, well, 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 if you're guilty, then what are you doing here? And he said, I looked at the judge and I basically just said, judge, I'm, I'm here asking for some good old-fashioned mercy. That's why I'm here. I'm guilty. I, I did what I'm accused of here. I, I did drive that fast. I, I, I didn't. I, I did go break the law, and, and, and I, I, I'm sorry, and I'm just here begging and pleading for mercy. And I'm sitting on the edge of my seat at this point in time, and I'm going, what did he say? And he said, he gave me mercy. He, re, he, he, um, he completely removed all the charges from me, and I walked out of there without having to pay a fine. Well, I had heard enough. <laughs> I had heard enough. I said, you know what? I'm going to try that. And so I was looking at my ticket and the day that I was supposed to stand before the judge if I didn't pay the fine. And so I, I went. It was right over here, Brooklyn City Hall. I remember walking there into the, into the old uh, city hall at that point in time. I remember sitting there and hearing all of the other names called. And I'm thinking to myself, this is looking pretty good, I got to tell you. I mean, there, there are people doing crazy things. They're, they're, they're acting crazy. They're looking crazy. I'm here in my shirt and tie. I'm a pastor up the street at Cleveland Baptist Church. Surely this guy is going to give me mercy. And it was my turn. My name was called, and I stood. What do you, why are you, what, what do you plead? Well, I'm, I'm guilty, sir. Well, why are you here? I'm here for good old-fashioned mercy. And the guy says, not a chance. <laughs> I mean, the thing totally blew up in my face, and I... Uh, I ended up paying the fine and the court cost, having to do all of these things. The judge, yeah, he was, he was completely unmoved. I received no mercy, and I was left to pay the fine for my violation. You know the word mercy is found in our text, and it, it comes from the Hebrew word uh, rasham, which means tender compassion. Jacob here is faced with a situation that highlights his own inability to intervene. And by the way, all of us will at some point or another come to a a point in life in which we are helpless. I can do nothing. 
I, I, I cannot overcome this. I cannot throw enough money at this problem. I cannot figure out a solution in my own power and in my own strength. Jacob was a wealthy man. Jacob had enjoyed a measure of success. He had a host of sons and of servants and of cattle and, and, and resources. But all of this, listen, all of these things was of no avail at this very moment. At this time, Jacob was completely, totally, totally utterly helpless. Two decades had passed since he lost his beloved son, Joseph. He had mourned this loss, no doubt, every day since, and probably, as we talked about last week, bore a little bit of the blame for his disappearance as he had been the one responsible for sending Joseph on this journey all alone. Now another one of his sons, his name was Simeon, was sitting in an Egyptian prison. All of his sons had been accused of being spies, and the only way that they could prove that this wasn't true was for them to bring Benjamin to Egypt with them, a, a, a son that Jacob had long ago said, he will never leave my sight, he will always be by my side. In addition to that, they were all starving, or on the verge of starving. They needed more food, and the only place to get food was in this very place called Egypt. The only, the only drawback was that in order to buy more food, Benjamin had to appear before the governor of the land. But Jacob, reeling from 20 years of sorrow over the loss of Joseph, refused to let Benjamin go. I mean, steadfastly refused. It's not happening over my dead body, am I going to allow my son Benjamin to go on this journey with you? Jacob finds himself in quite a bind with limited options, and none of them are very good. In this moment, listen, in this moment, he does the one thing that gives him or gives any of us hope whatsoever. He chooses to fall into the arms of Almighty God, knowing that God delights in showing his children mercy or tender compassion. Listen to what the Bible says in Micah chapter number 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace, ye are saved. If you're really saved today, if you really know the Lord is your Savior, if heaven is your home today, it is because you trusted in the Lord who gave you mercy and grace. The scriptures are clear that salvation is by God's grace and it is accessed or obtained through faith or trust in God's grace. However, many people trust God with their eternal destiny. Now think about this for a moment. We trust God with our eternity, but we struggle to trust him with our day-to-day -day life, with things that we struggle with from day to day. You should know, listen, you should know this morning that God is worthy of your trust. God is worth that you can trust him, that you can relax and fall into his 
tender arms of mercy and loving compassion. There may be some among us who are facing overwhelming problems and distress. Like Jacob, your worst fears are being realized. Can I encourage you this morning? Do what Jacob did. Trust in God Almighty to give you mercy. There are several lessons that can be learned about when and how to trust God from this account here in Genesis 43. Number one, can I say this? Trust God when your problems won't go away. Trust God when your problems won't go away. If you're anything like most of us, when you encounter a problem, your first response is to try to fix it. You, you, you try to, okay, what's the issue here? Is it, is it a money issue? Okay, how do, I, how do I make extra money? Is it a relational issue? Okay, how do I get back in their good graces? Uh, is, it a, is it a spiritual issue? Okay, what do I need to do to be pleasing to God? Is it a job issue? Okay, how, how can I work harder? How can I show my boss I care? And, and in most cases, in most cases, that's the way that we think. We enter into a, into a problem, into a moment in which, okay, we're dealing with an issue here. What do I need to do to fix it? And yet you know as well as I do that there are times in which we encounter problems that can't be fixed by us. Sometimes, those, 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 sometimes my response is this. Okay, I, I've got a problem here. I don't know how to fix it. I know what the answer is. I'm just going to ignore it until it eventually goes away. Sometimes that's the way I think. I'll just forget about it. I'll just try to pretend like it isn't there, like it doesn't exist. And eventually, eventually it'll just sort of fade away. And I just have to tell you, there are times in which my problems don't just go away. In verses one and two, the Bible says that the famine was sore in the land. Jacob's sons had returned in the previous chapter and they had bought 12, at least 12 sacks of food that was to feed the family and, and, and that was good for a while and they enjoyed the resources of that food. But eventually, listen, all of that was consumed. And the famine hadn't gone away. Perhaps Jacob looked at all of the resources that they had bought and he began to calculate, okay, if things begin to rain again and if, and, if, and if crops begin to grow again, this should be enough to get us where we won't have to take another trip down to Egypt and that way Benjamin won't have to go. And I've often thought to myself, okay, Jacob, were you content to leave Simeon in that prison for the rest of his life? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, that's where Simeon was. And they said, the only way Simeon's getting out is if Benjamin goes with us. And Jacob was saying, Benjamin's not going. And sort of like, hey, Simeon, sorry, bud, you're out of luck, you know. I think that was sort of where Jacob was. I mean, he was so attached to this youngest son of his. And in his mind, he thought, okay, if, I, if, I, if, we, if we ration our food and if we're really careful about things and if we don't overdo it, surely by the time we run out of food, the famine will be over. But by the time they ran out of food, the famine wasn't over. In fact, the famine was still sore in the land. That means it was really bad. It was difficult. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn, they had consumed everything, the corn that they had brought out of Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. The time had come when Jacob's choice would be between sending Benjamin and trusting God with Benjamin or starving to death. Listen to what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said about starving to death. He said in Lamentations 4, 9, they that be slain with the sword are better, are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these, those that be slain with hunger, they pine away, stricken through for want of the fruits of the field. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of 
horrible ways to die. But you know what I think, I think Jeremiah is saying? Jeremiah is saying the worst way to die of all is to die of starvation. Somebody comes and stabs you with a sword, it's over pretty quick. As, as weird as that may be and as, as bizarre it might be to talk about it. But he says those that die of hunger and starvation, they pine away. And that's where Jacob and his family was. They're in danger of if we don't do something about this, we're going to pine away. We would all like to hope that whatever problems we're dealing with will eventually just go away on their own over time. But what if they don't? Are you in a famine today? A famine of difficulty? A famine of sickness? A famine of stress? Maybe a famine of relationships. Some things have, have gone wrong. Some things have not gone the way that you would have hoped. Many, listen, many will choose to starve to death in that matter rather than trust in God. If your problems and issues won't go away, this is the time for you to look to the Lord God Almighty to give mercy to you in the midst of that trial. So trust God when your problems won't go away. Number two, trust God when the only solutions to your problems further complicate things. So Jacob had in front of him several options, and likely when you enter in, into a problem or into a trial, there will be several different things, and you'll have to decide, okay, which one makes the most sense? Jacob is looking at the problem in front of him, and, and, and he's got, as I see it, he's got three options here. And he has to try to determine which one makes the most sense. And yet, what if, what if every one of the options, what if every one of the, uh, the, the, the solutions further complicate things, make things even harder? Notice, notice what, he, we, what he could do. The, notice the human solutions that lay before him. Number one was to send Benjamin with his brothers to Egypt. That was solution number one. That was the one thing that he had said, I'm never doing. You cannot take Benjamin with you. I will not let him out of my sight. Yet these were the rules that the governor had set in place during the first trip. You will not see my face again. You will not appear before me unless Benjamin, your youngest brother, be with you. The only way they would be allowed to buy more food and taken off the quote-unquote spy list was if they were able to present Benjamin before the governor of Egypt. Jacob wanted no part of that solution. Verse number 38 of the previous chapter, and he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which he go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Jacob had two children with his beloved wife, Rachel. One of them was gone. And in his mind, he could not bear to let the other one out of his sight. He was convinced, he was convinced. The devil was working over, the devil was living in Jacob's fears. And Jacob was convinced, if I let this boy go, something bad is going to happen and I'll never be able to get over it. So solution number one was gonna further complicate things. It's send Benjamin with his brothers to Egypt. Solution number two was this, do nothing at all. We see that in verse number five where his, his son Judah says to him, but if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, ye shall not see my face except your brother be with you. Jacob had dug in his heels and refused to allow Benjamin to go. Now he was demanding, hey, sons, you go buy us more food. And they're looking at him saying, no chance. We are not going without him. If Jacob continued to be stubborn here, 
they would all eventually die of starvation. You know, a man's pride sometimes causes him to do outlandish things in order to not move from his original position. Have you ever been there before? I have. I'll say something in the moment. I may be filled with fear or pride or anger or whatever the case might be. And the further I get away from it, the more I'm sitting here going, I wish I wouldn't have said that. And if I had to do that over again, I would not have been so bold. I would not have been so whatever the case might be. And I have to think that maybe in the back of Jacob's mind was this thought, I can't. I can't go back on this. I've already told them over and over again, Benjamin's not going. And now, now they want me to just, just forget as if I never said that and, and allow Benjamin to go. I can't, I can't. Don't you suppose that maybe there was some element of his pride that he was wrestling with in this moment? And yet, if he does nothing, what's, what's gonna happen? According to verse number eight, they're all gonna die. They're all gonna die of starvation. Third solution. Here's the third solution. Hold his children and grandchildren accountable for Benjamin's safekeeping. Judah says in verse number nine, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. In the previous chapter, Genesis chapter number 42, Reuben had spoken up. And here's, here was, here's what Reuben's solution was. Reuben says, dad, send him with us. I promise to take care of him. Here's how serious I am. If we don't bring Benjamin back, then you can kill my sons. Well, that sounds really appealing, doesn't it? Good deal, sure. If you don't bring my one son back, then I get to kill my grandsons. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's just go ahead with that. That's the solution that he was giving him. Here, Here, Judah is saying, if I don't bring him back, then I will bear the blame of this forever. Jacob had already lost Joseph. Simeon sat in an Egyptian jail, and his best options here were if something were to happen to Benjamin, he could slay his two grandsons and blame his son for the rest of his life. Jacob was not comfortable with any of these options, as they only added more heartache and problems instead of solving anything. Thirdly, notice, trust God. Trust God when you're tempted to trust in the work of your own hand. Look in verse number 11, it says, and their father Israel said unto him, if it must be so now. In other words, if I have no other choice, if I have no other options, if it must be so, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand. And the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure it was an oversight. Jacob, at this point, understanding there's no way to avoid sending Benjamin to Egypt, he instructs his son, his sons, listen, you can take him, but take gifts with you. Gifts from Canaan to give to the governor in an attempt to secure favor with him. Jacob was a successful and wealthy man, so he was prepared to send some of his wealth and bounty with his sons to Egypt. They prepared the best fruits of the land of Canaan, balm, honey, spices, myrrh, nuts and almonds. Jacob is... Is, is not only a wealthy man, but he's also an honorable man. No one, no, none of them were sure how the money had been restored to their sacks. They didn't know how that had happened the first time, but Jacob made sure that they took that money with them again in order to compensate for what they had consumed from their first journey to Egypt. I got to thinking, you know, it was wise and it was advisable for Jacob to do all of this. I mean, who knows? 
Perhaps these gifts will be pleasing to the governor of Egypt. But Jacob's statement in verse 14 reminds us what Jacob is really, truly trusting in. Jacob is not trusting in the honey and the balm and the myrrh and the nuts and the almonds. He's not trusting in the fact that we're bringing extra money to pay for what we're going to buy and to pay for what we bought the last time. Jacob understands. He has come to the realization, I am not trusting in the work of my own hands. I'm not trusting in the gifts that I can give to the governor. No, my trust is in God Almighty to give mercy. Can we pause for a moment? Can we contemplate the greater spiritual truth here? How many men in our world are trusting in the work of their own hands for favor with God and eternal life? You do know that the vast majority of the religious world preaches a works-based form of peace with God. Perhaps sometimes you're, you're asked, maybe by your children, Dad, what do these people believe? What do those people believe? And you may, not, you may not know all of the ins and outs of every little thing, but you can be pretty confident in this. The vast majority of the world believes that they can somehow gain favor with God through something that they can do. If I can deprive myself enough, if I can give enough money away, if I can think enough good thoughts, if I can, if I can live a noble enough life, then maybe, just maybe, God is going to show me mercy. And I just have to tell you, Jacob did all of the good things that he was supposed to do. He sent the gifts, and he did right as far as I'm concerned in this respect. But I love what Jacob says in verse number 14. He is essentially saying, I am not trusting in the honey that I'm sending. I'm not trusting in the balm that I'm sending. I'm not trusting in the nuts and the almonds. I'm not trusting in the extra money. My trust, my faith, my confidence is in God Almighty to give me mercy. I just have to tell you, as you live this life down here, do good things. Add a little honey to your life. Give some nuts and almonds away. Uh, give some myrrh away. Be a blessing to people. Uh, give some fruit that you've, uh, that, that you've worked for uh, to, to folks. and Be a help and an encouragement to folks. But at the end of the day, understand this. None of those things saves a lost soul. The only thing that saves a lost soul is falling into the tender arms of God Almighty and begging and pleading for mercy. The Bible says, Luke 7 and verse number 50, Jesus was speaking and he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. He didn't say your works have saved you. The fact that you're a really good person has saved you. No, he said thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. The question is this, what are you trusting in this morning? Oh, I surely hope you're not trusting in the fact that you're in church on a Sunday morning. There's lots of people in church on a Sunday morning that aren't going to heaven. I surely hope that you're not trusting in the fact that you were born into a Christian home. There's a lot of people that were born into good, godly Christian homes, and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. My faith has saved thee. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace... Are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, we have to get out of our minds that we can do anything. We can do nothing. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The things that you and I can do, 
The things that we try to do, you know what those things are in the sight of God? Those things are dirty. Those things are filthy. Those things are worthless. You say, well, if I can't do anything in the sight of God, then, then what is my hope? And your hope is this, to fall into the tender arms of God Almighty to give you mercy, and he will do it every time because he delighteth in mercy. Your good works are as filthy rags, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away every sin and every stain. Oh, I admire Jacob for sending gifts. I mean, don't you suppose that this was a real sacrifice? I mean, they're living in a time of famine. Where he got the fruit and where he got the nuts and the almonds and the different things that would be consumable, that would feed us and nurture us during a famine, I don't know where he got those things, but that he was willing to send them to Egypt is something, isn't it? It was a sacrifice. But he follows that up in verse number 14 with what he's really trusting in. God Almighty, God Almighty, give you mercy. Lastly today, number four, trust God with your most cherished possessions. In verse number 13, take also your brother and arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty, give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved, of my children, I am bereaved. You know, the most precious thing any of us have are our own souls and the souls of our children. You know, when you're asked about what is your net worth, sometimes you're tempted to think, well, I have this much money in this bank account and I have this much money in a 401k and my house is worth this much money and my vehicle is worth this much if I were to be able to sell it today and, you know, I've got some valuable things that are worth some things that I've collected and saving maybe for a rainy day. But you know, you know that the most valuable, the most precious thing any of us have is not the, the address of the home that we live at. It's not the vehicle that sits out on that parking lot. It's not the nice suit of clothes that maybe we wore to church today or it's not even how much cash we might have in our wallet or how much money is available to us in a bank account somewhere. No, the most precious thing that any of us have this morning is our own souls. And if we've been so blessed and so fortunate as to sit next to our children in this service this morning or perhaps our children in another part of this building, it's the precious souls of those children. That's the most valuable thing that you have. That's your most cherished possession. Jacob says, take his brother. Take Benjamin. I'm, 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 willing, I'm willing to trust in God for his safekeeping. Why? Because God can be trusted, can he? Jacob, I think, had come to that conclusion. There's no way out of this. God has brought us to a Red Sea moment, as it were. I mean, the Egyptian army's behind us, and the water's in front of us, and we have to wait on God, and we have to trust God if we're going to survive this thing. God's going to have to do it and I'm here to tell you that in the vast majority of life, God will bring you to a place in which the enemy is behind you and there is an obstacle in front of you and all you can do is look up to heaven and say, dear God in heaven, I trust you with this. Lord, if you don't move this obstacle, if you don't divide this sea, if you don't watch over and protect me and my little ones, then who else will trust God with your most cherished possessions? Problems of life are real, aren't they? Problems in life are growing in intensity, aren't they? They're not going away. My soul, look around you. 
Is our world going crazy or what? It's going crazy. Can I, can I remind you the human solutions are all flawed. They do nothing really to solve anything. Oh, they might get us to another day. They don't really fix anything, do they? No, we're just all living day to day. In many cases, the human solutions, the things that I can do with the problem in front of me will only make matters worse. Listen, I, I, I continue to urge you to work hard, all of us. Do your best in every situation. But listen, we're reminded the greatest challenges in life are not solved by the work of our own hands. In other words, the eternal destiny of your soul and the eternal destiny of your child's soul cannot be fixed by you pulling something together with your own hands and your own work and your own might. Jacob would learn to trust in the Lord with his most cherished possession, the only remaining son he had with Rachel. I just want to remind you, you can trust with the Lord with your most cherished possessions as well. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Listen, trust God when your problems won't go away. Trust in the Lord when the only solutions to your problems, human solutions, are just going to further complicate things or make things worse. Trust God when you're tempted to trust in the work of your own hands. And then certainly trust God with your most cherished possessions. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. God Almighty give you mercy. Have you received mercy from God Almighty today? If you're here today and you've been born again, you've been saved, you've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you've experienced his mercy. You've accessed his grace by faith. That's the only way to be saved. The Bible says this to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.